Welcome to Omega Sports Learn to Run Podcast. My name is Dr. Matt Minard, pronounced my nerd, rightfully so, and I am honored to be your host. I'm a physical therapist by trade, but really consider myself more of a professional helper. If running is a passion of yours, helping you is a passion of mine. I don't know about you, but I started running for my physical health. However, slowly, and I mean slowly over time, my why became more for the mental benefits than the physical. For the first eight years of my physical therapy career, I specialized in treating injured runners. Over the last two years, my mindset has changed. I started to ask myself, am I only treating the symptoms of the injury and not addressing the cause? I spent the last two years dissecting and simplifying running mechanics with the purpose of educating others to help the world run safer. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you what I've learned and what I will continue to discover. I want to thank you so much for listening. Without you, the show is impossible, and I'm so grateful that you are here. This week, the question of the week is, Matt, why are my calf muscles always tight? Why are my calves always tight? Well, first, let's go over some housekeeping. What are muscles? What are muscles? What's their job? Their purpose is they're their movers. They're our movers of our body. Our body is just a bag of bones, and the only thing that is moving our framework, our skeleton around, is the muscles. Think M muscles. They're our movers. And how do they actually produce movement? Muscles will contract and relax. Think of that muscle like a long rope. When you contract a muscle, it firms up, it shortens, and that creates movement. And so muscles shorten and they relax. What are the calf muscles? There's two muscles. This is the fancy term, and I'm only going to say this once. There's two muscles that make up your calves. There's the gastrocnemius and the soleus. Collectively, we're just going to refer to those as one unit as the calf muscles. And what is the role? What is their specific job? Muscles create movement. What is the job of the calves? Let's find the muscle in question. You're sitting down, go and feel the back of your knee and slowly kind of walk your fingers down. You feel that meaty part, that meaty part of the back of the lower leg? That's it. That's the calves. There they are. And how muscles activate, we talked about they contract, they firm up, they shorten. How do we activate the calf muscles? What's their role? Well, first, Let's talk about muscles when they work. There's two different ways that we can use those calf muscles. They operate at the joint. That's where they they work at the ankle. That's their job. They work at the ankle. There's what's called open chain, where the foot is off of the ground. And there's closed chain, where the foot is on the ground. Let's go through that. If my foot is off the ground right now in the air, that's open chain. Think of it like an airplane. When I activate that muscle, when I push through, imagine like you're pushing on a gas pedal. That's called plantar flexion. That's their job. The job of the calf muscles is plantar flexion. If you want an easy way to remember that, P for plantar flexion, think it's planting. It's actually the ankle is pointing down and planting into the ground. That's important because when it comes to activating the muscle group that we're going to talk about later, it's important to know what is their specific role. When we activate the muscle, it goes down. But what about in life? How do we use the calf? Mainly, we don't use the calf when it's in the air. We're not airplanes. We're not in the air. We're grounded. That's closed chain. But think more like a car. 
when the calf muscles activate and they work, it's when the foot is actually on the ground. If you're still sitting, kind of have your foot, your ankle underneath your knee and feel the muscle in question again, just below the back of your knee. And watch how if you push the ball of your foot through the ground, you see how your heel comes up and those muscles firm. That's it. That's the, the, the muscles in question. These are the calves. That's that plantar flexion. Now that we know what muscles are, what the calf muscles are specifically, how do we know? Matt, how do I know if they are actually tight? Well, the, the easy answer is, Matt, I have tight calves. I know what calves are. They're tight. But for those of you that didn't know, what was tight down there? It felt uncomfortable. It felt stiffness down below. Maybe now you know, okay, I have tight calves. But if you're not sure, if you want more than that, that's just the subjective of say, I identify as someone that has tight calves. If you want more, if you need a little bit more convincing, there's a test that you can do. There's an objective test. This is called the wall test. I'm going to talk you guys through it right now, but we will have a link in the show notes to a video of me performing this wall test. This is a test to see, is the muscle group, the calves, truly tight? Let's go back to the role of the, the calves. We talked about they plant, they plantar flex, they point the ankle down. Well, the opposite of that, the opposite uh, motion is called dorsiflexion, where I'm actually bringing the ankle up. Think of it like D dorsiflexion, like a drawbridge. I'm getting that folding in the ankle. You can do that too. You can see when the open chain, when the foot's off the ground, I point my toe down, plantar flexion, I pull it up. That's that drawbridge. Well, if the calves on the backside of your lower leg, if those are shortened, or tight, you can call it, it can limit your ability to go into dorsiflexion, to go in the opposite direction. The muscles are off, they're not contracted, but when you're trying to lengthen them by going into dorsiflexion, if you have a restriction of your calves, it can limit that motion. Why is this important? This is important when it comes to walking, running, jumping. If you don't have this folding of the ankles, or the ability to get your knee past your toe to get that folding, we'll see compensation. Here's the test. You go up to a wall and kind of kneel down three finger breaths, the width of three of your fingers, if you can go away from the wall. And that distance, see if you can put one foot. Imagine right now you've got your right foot. We're three fingers widths away from the wall. My foot is straight. I'm standing up, keeping that distance. And here is the goal. Here's the screen. Can you bring your knee past your toe and tap the wall without your heel coming up? That's the key. If you cannot get to the wall, keeping your heel down, or if you can get to the wall, but your heel comes up, bingo. You can identify yourself. I still love you, but you can identify yourself as a tight calf person. Tight calves. Wall test. Matt, what causes this? Why? What causes tight calves? What is the actual reasoning? Well, this is in my experience, in my opinion, these are the two most common causes of tight calves, the cause, the culprit. Two things. One is going to a zero drop shoe too quickly, and I'll explain that. And the other is a mechanical inefficiency where we mix jumping and running and we get what's called bounding, going up and down. Let's go back to the zero drop. Why can that potentially cause tight calves? So if you're back to the sitting position and you have your foot, your ankle underneath your knee, and if you look, you found that meaty part, the meaty part of the muscle was behind the knee, just lower. Well, if you follow that down, follow it all the way down, you'll feel that tendon, that rope. I'm sure you're familiar with your Achilles tendon. I'm going to let you in on a secret. 
as muscles insert into the bone, that's the tendon. That's called a tendon. And so your Achilles tendon is part of your calves. Well, here's the thing. If you look at the back of your heel, where the calf muscles insert is to the very back of the heel. Well, what happens is if you were to take off your shoe, put it up on the table, don't do it, it's disgusting, but you could picture this with me. Most of the time, most shoes have a built-in heel. The heel is slightly elevated, sometimes 10, sometimes 12 millimeters, but it creates this decline effect where your heel is sitting up higher. Well, what happens is if our body gets adapted to that and used to that, and my calf is used to that little bit of heel, and for whatever reason, that's a talk for another podcast, of you went to zero drop shoes. Zero drop shoe is where the platform, the bottom, is the exact same length all the way across. There is no built-in heel. That's why we call it a zero drop. There is no drop. It's the same level. If you're too quickly adapting of your heel sitting lower, that can cause tension through your calf. And if you combine that with this bounding, which I'm going to talk about, which most of us do, then that's a recipe for tight calves. Too quickly, zero drop shoe. The other is the mechanics. Bear with me here. I want to try to make this as simple as possible. We talked about how muscles are our movers, and we use our muscles mainly on the ground, like a car. We're pushing through the ground, closed chain. Well, if I'm standing up tall, and if I want to go upwards, if I want to go up higher, that I want to go vertical. How do I do that? Well, then I want to push down. I want to push down through the ground, straight down, to go up. Every action, there is equal and opposite reaction. But that's how our body works. That's the physics of it. If I want to go up, I push down. And when it comes to jumping, where our goal is going upwards, with running, the goal is moving forward. Moving forward. If we're not moving forward, what are we doing? It's not efficient. It's not going towards that goal. In my opinion, this is it. This is the smoke and gun. A lot of times, our bodies, without the proper training, and it takes a lot of training, but I can help you with that, the body at certain speeds, when you start moving forward at higher speeds, the body will leave the ground. And we differentiate walking versus running of with walking, there's always one foot on the ground. With running, there's this period of flight time where both feet are off the ground. But here's the thing, I want you to leave the ground to go further forward, not upwards. If we're going up and down, that's wasted time and energy. We're going up and down. But not only is it not efficient, it means we're, we, we have a higher risk of calf tightness, of repetitive loading through the body. The higher you go, the further you come down. If we're blending jumping with running, that's, we call that bounding. I'm going to refer to bounding as this blending of running and jumping. How do you know if you are bounding? There's three ways. There's three ways you can do it. The one, the easiest, is just assume you're doing it. Just assume that you are bounding and work on the strategies to do what I call gliding. Opposite of bounding is gliding. It's more horizontal versus vertical. To bound less means to glide more. So just assume you're doing it. I'm going to give you guys some tips later about how to address the bounding. Just you can work on these drills and uh, mental mantras. Here's your other two options. You can either video yourself or use data from a smartwatch. If you video yourself, you can set up your camera 
You can do it if you're on the treadmill, if you're on outside. I will also include a link in the show notes to how to video yourself from the side view outside and on the treadmill, because that's where it's seen from the side view. And if you video yourself and you see your head is bobbing up and down, it's going up and down and up and down, then we're jumping. The only way to go up is to jump. If your head is going up and down, you may be guilty of this bounding or your wrist go above your elbows. Your wrist go above your elbows. Picture this with me. Arm swing. If my wrists are going above my elbows and they're going up and down and up and down, what am I doing? I'm going up and down, up and down. We're not trying to go up. We're trying to go horizontal. I like to talk about this silly thing about uh, an axe swing or a saw swing. If I'm bounding, going up and down, my arms look like an axe. It looks like I'm chopping wood. I'm going up and down with my arms. But if I'm trying to glide, I want my arms to be like a handsaw, forward and back, forward and back, forward and back, because that helps assist us with going forward. That's a little secret risk going above your elbows. You may be guilty of this uh, bounding. Again, I still love you. I still accept you. The other is the data. If you have a a watch, a smart watch, most watches will have the cadence. And cadence is just a measurement. Cadence is a measurement of steps, the number of steps per minute. If we had a clock, set it for a minute, how many times we see your feet, each one counts, touch the ground, that's, we, we measure that as a frequency. That's called cadence or step rate. Ideally, and this is again a whole nother topic for another day, it's been shown that ideally we want around 180 steps, 180 steps. Here's the thing. If your watch tells you you're anywhere from 150 to 160, 165 probably, if you have a lower step rate, what does that mean? That means you're going up. You're spending more time in the air. What do we talk about? Bounding is going up and down. If you're up in the air, you have less time to accumulate and pick up the steps. One way we'll see you are potentially bounding is if you have this lower step rate, this lower cadence, because you're in the air. The other thing is some of the watches have a little extra pod that you can add to it. Not everybody has this, but it will measure your vertical displacement. Vertical upwards, displacement is change in position. There's a measurement. We see there should be some up and down motion, but I'll talk about another day. It should happen lower the ground, not higher, but we should measure about five to seven centimeters of this up and down motion. If it says 10, 12, 14 centimeters, then most likely you are spending more time in the air and bounding. Matt, what can I do? I'm a bounder. It's all right. I've got you. We've got a lot of options. What can you do? What can you do about this to address this bounding? I'm going to talk about two different ways that you can address this. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, in real time, while you are running, take the jump out. We're just trying to take the jump out of your run. If you think about it that way, this should make a lot more sense. We're going to talk about two things. One is an activity or a drill that you can do before running, not during it. And the other is a thought that you can have while you're running to see if it will click and make the desired change of not bounding. Here's the first one. I'm going to talk you through it. Before your next run, This is easier to do on the ground versus the treadmill for the first time. Just learning, it's easier to do it on the ground than on the treadmill. But let's say you're standing outside, maybe on the track or the sidewalk. If you are standing up tall, look straight ahead, eye level. Find something off in the distance that's stationary that you can focus on with your eyes. Got it? Once you have it, 
Your goal is to now, I want you to jump, jump up. What happens? It goes up and down in your vision. Now walk, walk forward. What happens? It stays locked and stable in your vision, not going up and down. Now run. What should happen, what ideally should happen is it stays locked in. It stays stable, stable gaze. If now suddenly when you started running, your eyes, your vision is going up and down, well, guess what? That means you're jumping like we showed earlier. That can sometimes be enough. It doesn't work for everybody. But for some people, the test you could see to identify, yes, I'm bounding, it's going up and down, can also be the corrective. Your goal is to now adapt your body, your mechanics, so that that image, whatever you're looking at, that's eye level, don't look at the ground, look up at eye level. What can you do to make it so it's as stable as possible? And it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it works awesome. Sometimes people look at me like I've got two heads, but that's what keeps this interesting. And I want to find the right cue for you. Here's another one. If you've been following me on Instagram for any amount of time, learn.to.run, you've heard me talk about push with the tush. Push with the tush, PWT. What does that mean? See if you think about this on your next run, during your run, if you think about this concept, see if it changes your mechanics because what the push with the tush is addressing is the bounding, is the going up and down. Here it is. Conceptualize this with me. If I'm on a canoe in the water and the only way I can move, how can I move? I'm just in a canoe in the water. I've got a paddle. Imagine like the paddle is like my leg and the canoe is your body. If I put the paddle on the water and I push the water back, paddle in, push the water backwards, the boat, the canoe moves forward. We create forward motion, every action, equal and opposite reaction, by pushing the water back. How does that relate to the body with running? Push with the tush. The tush is your glute max, that big muscle you sit on all the time. We, I want you to use that muscle, that's it, to push back. Push the ground backwards to translate your body, that canoe, forward. So push with the tush. Push backwards to allow your body to glide forward. Some people it clicks right away and some people it doesn't. But I, if you stick with me long enough, I will find a way for you to understand that concept. What did, if you notice, what did I not talk about? I talked about the calves are tight. What is the, the fix? What is the way we can address the tightness? Notice how in my intro I said I got tired of treating symptoms, not the cause. But here's what I would have done two years ago. I would have said, your calves are tight. I'm so sorry. I, I want to help you. I'll dry needle your calves. I'll stretch your calves. I'll, I'll foam roll. I'll show you how to do this. And what happens? They feel good for a day or two. Then they go back to running and they get tight again. They come back again. Yeah, it was good for a couple of days and it came back. All right, well, let's try it again. And it just got tiring over and over and over of what is the cause? Why are these calf muscles tight? I don't need to just stretch a symptom. It's not the cause, addressing the symptom. The symptom is the cause is they're using your calf to move you forward, your engine. We talked earlier about jumping up. I want to use your calves. Running forward, I want you to use your glutes. Push with a tush. Your calves shouldn't be tight. Ideally, if you're gliding, I've been guilty of that. And anyone that's listening that has seen me over the years and I didn't address this, I'm sorry. But I'm here to make things right. And gliding is the way less bounding, push with the tush. Only stretching to recover. 
Matt, why do we not want tight calves? Why do I not want to have tight calves? Well, the obvious is it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. But what else? What could tight calves potentially lead to? One is overuse. Most of running injuries, and here's a little secret, you can have efficient mechanics, ideal mechanics, and still get hurt, still do too much too soon. Most of our injuries are just too much too soon. A lot of times we have these overuse or under-recovery injuries. But remember back to the calf when we talked about the Achilles. Well, if you're using your calf thousands of times each step over the course of a mile, two, three miles, you can get some inflammation. Think of fire inflammation. From overusing it, you can get Achilles tendonitis. Itis means inflammation. And then what else can happen? Well, think about it. We're spending more time in the air. We're going higher in the air. Think back to physics. The higher you go, the further you come down, the more force. If you have that low step rate and you're spending all this time up, up, up in the air, the further you go up, the further you come down, there's more stress. Every action equal and opposite reaction. You hit that ground, cement, treadmill, whatever you're hitting, that force is going to come right back up at you. And ideally, you want the shoes, that's a whole other topic for another day, your shoes to be your cushion, your exoskeleton of cartilage to protect your knees. You can change out your shoes a lot easier than you can change your knees or get a knee replacement. It's a lot cheaper, trust me. We, we can save the knees by not doing as much of this bounding up and down. If we don't address this, what can happen? We can have compensations. What are compensations? The body is going to find a way. I'm trying to move forward. I will find a way to do it. There's three different planes of motion. Sometimes we'll tap into a different plane to move forward. We'll kind of go around an object. Back to the ankle. If you have tightness of the ankle, a way that your body can compensate is you'll toe out. You'll twist, you'll rotate your leg. Your toe is pointing outwards more. And then we've introduced some torsion or twisting into the system. And mainly the knee and the hip will uh, not appreciate it. It can lead to IT band friction syndrome or inside of the knee pain. We don't ideally want to avoid twisting when we're running going forward. The other that we see is we, there's a saying on my Instagram too, I talk a lot about called the hankle, hinging at the ankle. When I'm standing tall, when I go to move forward to walk or run, I want to have a lean. I want to lean into it. But where I get that lean from, hinging, where am I hinging at? I want it to be from the ankles, hinging at the ankles. What we'll see is a compensation for tight calves is people will instead hinge at the hips. They'll hinge their shoulders forward. They'll keep their hips back as a result of not having the mobility of their ankles. So hip hinging can be a compensation of lack of ankle dorsiflexion range of motion. Let's go over summary. Today was the tight calves were the culprit. Again, I accept you, but I want to help. What's the muscle's role? We talk about muscles are our movers. Muscles are our movers. They create and control motion. Ankle plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. We talked about the ankle joint. A joint is where just two bones come together. It's where we're getting motion at is at that joint. The ankle can point down using the calf muscles. We call that plant plantar flexion. And we can do the opposite muscles, the muscles in the front of your shin, to dorsiflex, to draw bridge motion, bring the ankle up. We talk about the ankle, the wall test, going up to the wall, seeing can you tap your knee to the wall, keeping your heel down about three finger widths away from the wall. We talked about one of the common causes, in my experience, in my opinion, is switching to a zero drop shoe too quickly. And the body, the Achilles and calf, has not had enough time to adapt. 
And then one of the most common active causes is the bounding, blending, jumping with running and going up and down. We talked about how you can identify. You can either video yourself, you can assume that you're bounding, or you can look at the data and look for that 150 to 160 step rate or cadence, or that vertical oscillation if you have the pod being 10 or higher, ideally five to seven is our goal. We talked about the physical drill, finding something eye level in the distance when you're standing tall, and when you're running forward, keep it stable, keep it still. The other was the mental mantra, the push with the tush. I will be in your ear next run. You'll think about push with the tush. And that's that whole oar or paddle in the water. I push the water back to move forward. I want to thank my friends at Omega Sports. Without them, the show would not be possible. They've been in business for longer than I've been alive. And I'm not a youngster. If you're in the market for new running gear, check them out locally or online. The views and opinions of this show do not reflect those of Omega Sports. For better or for worse, they are my own. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It's my hope that you can take something valuable away from each episode. If you want to hear your questions answered on the show, please email them to info at learntorun101.com. And that will be in the show notes. Those are number two, number 101. Info at learntorun101.com. You can help support the show by subscribing, sharing, leaving a review. Basically, tell all your friends. You can also find me on Instagram at learn.tothenumber.run. This show, the Omega Sports Learn to Run podcast, will soon be available on all major platforms. Until next time. Bye.